Welcome to the Cancer Care Network Workshop. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. During the workshop, you will hear from our panel of expert speakers. We will allow time for questions and comments following the presentation. Instructions will be given at that time. If anyone should require assistance during the con workshop, please press star the zero on your touchtone telephone. As a reminder, the workshop is being recorded. I would now like to introduce your moderator for today's workshop, Dr. Carolyn Messner, Director of Education and Training at Cancer Care. Please go ahead. Oh, thank you so much, Norma. And I, too, would like to welcome everyone to today's program. And today's program is titled, well, actually, the title is Managing the Side Effects of Immunotherapy, but this is part two of Immunotherapy, A Promising Approach to Treating Cancer. And today's program is a collaborative effort between Cancer Care and many other cancer organizations. And it really is because of that collaboration that we've been able to reach so many of you on the call today. So we have over 326 participants on the call today, and you come from all over the United States um, and from rural, urban, and suburban areas. And we also have international participants from Australia, uh, Canada, New Zealand, Saudi Arabia, Sweden, Taiwan, and United Kingdom. So it's really a credit to all of you that you've chosen to spend this next hour with us. Uh, today's program is made possible, supported by Bristol-Myers Squibb, EMD Serrano, and a grant from Genentech, and I really want to thank them for their support of today's program. Now, we have wonderful speakers on our program today, really the best of the best, and I want to begin by introducing our first speaker, and our first speaker is Dr. Susan Sloven. Dr. Sloven is attending physician, genital urinary oncology service, Sydney Kimball Center for Prostate and Urologic Diseases, Memorial Stone Kettering Cancer Center, She's also a professor of medicine, Department of Medicine, while Cornell of Cornell University. And Dr. Slobin will be addressing how the side effects of immunotherapy differ from chemotherapy side effects, potential side effects with guidelines to follow up for follow-up care, managing flu-like symptoms, fever, fatigue, and diarrhea, and talking with your healthcare team about quality of life concerns. It's really now my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Slobin. Thank you so much, Carolyn. It's always a pleasure, and good afternoon or good evening to everyone. Uh, many of you recognize the fact that I am a prostate cancer specialist, a uh, medical oncologist and that focuses on prostate cancer, but I'm also, a, uh, as they say in the trades, a card-carrying immunologist, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a perspective about immunotherapy and, as Dr. Mesner made mention, just talking about some of the side effects and uh, really update you on how they differ in some ways from standard chemotherapy. It's very important to get a sense of what we're talking about when we talk about immunotherapy because it, it encompasses these days uh, really one class of immunotherapeutic agents uh, called the checkpoint inhibitors. And these are a group of drugs, and they go by a variety of names, that work to release a natural break on one's immune system. So in general, we have a lot of different mechanisms within our immune cells that prevent them from just out of out of nowhere from uh, getting very excited and causing the body to react against itself. One particular example of that type of uh, type of, I guess you want to say, a medical issue is people with rheumatoid arthritis where they develop what we call antibodies or proteins against other constituents in their bodies. So what makes this interesting in terms of the checkpoint inhibitors is that our immune cells 
have particular molecules, and they go by different names, that prevent your body from reacting to itself. Now, someone got the bright idea, in particular Dr. James Allison, uh, who just won the Nobel Prize uh, within the last several months, that if we could somehow take the break off or just get this molecule to no longer inhibit the body's own reactivity, that maybe we can use this in a manner to work against cancer cells. So the immune checkpoint blockade is that is the name really of the approach that's used to get that immune system up and running. So the checkpoint is that molecule that I talked about that really inhibits the immune cells from going haywire. When we say checkpoint blockade, we are using a commercially prepared protein known as an antibody to literally stop the inhibitory action of that molecule, essentially taking the break off and letting everything go haywire, which is, as I mentioned before, not really what we want in Mother Nature, but if you happen to have a cancer, that's what you want to do. We know that these checkpoint inhibitors can be effective against melanoma and lung cancer, uh, in addition to kidney cancer, non-small cell lung cancer, head and neck cancer, certain variants of skin cancer, and even specific uh, lymphomas. So we know that these are drugs that really have made a difference in the control and even remission of a lot of uh, different solid tumor and hematologic malignancies. Now, how do they differ in terms of side effects and chemo? Poor chemotherapy gets a bad rep periodically. The difference is that Chemotherapy is using drugs, we call them cytotoxic because they are chemicals that have the ability to destroy or break the DNA in the cancer cells, and sometimes they even affect some of the normal cells there. And many a person who has had chemotherapy will often develop a fever uh, as a result of having some low blood counts. Chemotherapy side effects, which can include fever, chills, reduction in blood counts, and in many cases, again, depending on the chemotherapy, pins and needles and fingers and toes, for the most part, many of these are very reversible, and they are part and parcel of standard care for a lot of other solid tumor malignancies. They can be used independently, or they can be used absolutely in concert or together with checkpoint inhibitors. But the most important thing is that you are targeting a completely different mechanism of action with chemotherapy, which is the DNA in the cancer cell, whereas the checkpoint inhibitors work very differently in that they are lifting off that break and allowing the immune cells to go uh, amok, if you will. In each case, side effects are manageable. So when we talk about the checkpoint inhibitors, a lot of the side effects are really dependent on two things. Number one, which checkpoint inhibitor is used, and they go by a variety of names. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard on TV about the uh, different checkpoint inhibitors that are being marketed. But please keep in mind, number one, they are not all applicable to every possible cancer. In fact, Prostate cancer is not as sensitive to this class of drugs as many others, surprisingly, within the genitourinary realm. The side effects that we see with chemotherapy are somewhat different. 
and for the most part are reversible, such as the blood counts, because we can give drugs to get the blood counts right back up. We can treat with antibiotics. Some side effects, such as pins and needles, or what we call neuropathy, can be treated with drugs to make it improve, but unfortunately, every now and then, there is somebody for whom it is not reversible, and it can be very intolerable to have this annoying feeling or sensation that you're having tingling in your fingers or toes. But for the most part, the new profiles that we see with chemotherapy are actually better. We don't see people who have hair loss for long periods of time. We may see some thinning of the hair, and then we see regrowth. A lot of times people, again, very chemotherapy-specific, will talk about watery eyes. But again, this improves over time. The checkpoint inhibitors are rather different. They cause what we term autoimmune effects. By autoimmune, this means that not only is the body responding to itself favorably by by killing the tumor cells, but it also can start indirectly affecting other immune cell populations. So people could develop fatigue. They could get a febrile or some fever and chills during the actual administration of the drug intravenously. Some patients may have a rash. Others may develop very significant diarrhea for which using high doses of steroids may be needed. There are some very unusual side effects that can occur in a minority of people, but for the most part, they're well tolerated and one can try to reverse many of these side effects, in particular the fatigue. Now, there is a what we call a treatment algorithm for all these drugs. Most doctors and hospital teams have them. These algorithms are nothing more than a list of recommendations such that when a patient comes in with one or many other side effects, they know exactly what has to be done. If you're at a major medical center and you come in at 3 o'clock in the morning and all that's there is a, a nurse and a medical intern, most of the pharmacies have information as to the nature of the drug and how to immediately deal with any of the side effects, including the doses of steroids or any other medications that are needed. So we are all prepared to take care of any patient who has horrible diarrhea or bad fatigue or have a ra- or has a rash. I mean, we're ready to go. Our problem is in communication. When we first started out using the checkpoint inhibitors, which is circa probably 2005, we knew that if somebody had diarrhea, we had to deal with it immediately. It is, however, very interesting that not everybody sees or defines diarrhea the same way. So usually diarrhea is the number of loose bowel movements or watery bowel movements you have in the course of a day. More than one obviously may not be normal. However, the uh, very often a patient assumed that if they just had a loose bowel movement, that was nothing and they could ignore their symptoms. Whereas we now tell patients that if you have any change in your bowel behavior, meaning if you suddenly are having pure water or loose bowel movements, or you even have had a normal bowel movement, but it's more than what you normally would have, then you need to let your health care team be aware of this. Why? 
because early intervention is imperative to preventing the side effects and to making the side effects such that you end up in the hospital. Again, it doesn't happen very often, and there's no question that how these drugs behave have to do with the kind of cancer you have. In some cancers, the drugs seem to have minimal side effects. If they're used in other cancers, there may be more side effects. So important thing for everybody to know is anything is changing. Suddenly you're not able to go to the gym or suddenly you find that in your normal activities of daily living that you're taking a nap once, twice, three times in a day, whereas before you've never had to do so. This is something that you need to bring to the healthcare team. We're very fortunate that we have these drugs. They have made a significant impact on the quality of people's lives. I mean, most people do very well with them. But I won't mislead you and say that every person responds the same way as another person. We know with chemotherapy that patients sometimes will, actually not sometimes, but most of the time after I give chemotherapy, many of my patients are able to go to work right after. And their major complaint for the most part may be that their nails sort of get very uh, peculiar looking and may start to slough off over a period of time. But the point is it's reversible. The fatigue is reversible once we stop the treatment and you've had the requisite number of cycles. On the other hand, neuropathy or the numbness and tingling could be chronic or could go away. Hair loss, hair comes back. The point is that all of these approaches are important to taking care of a patient who has any sort of malignancy. We like the checkpoints because we get under the impression that, well, we're not destroying DNA, we're killing the cancer through the immune system, and we're really making the immune system the real robust mechanism by which we kill the cancer. But every treatment, I don't care how great the profile seems on paper, but every treatment always has the potential to cause something that may not be compatible with the patient's quality of life. Every treatment is manageable. Every treatment we have a treatment plan should there be a side effect. So if your patient, I'm sorry, if your doctor says to you, I'd like to try that, you can feel very secure that there is a safety mechanism built in for us to know how to deal with any event. But again, the most important thing is that you ask questions, that if you're not sure about how you're feeling, please, you call your doctor's office, speak to the nurse, speak to whomever, but please make your concerns aware because early intervention is the best for you. With that, I'm going to turn it back to you, Carolyn. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Sullivan. That was really excellent, really outstanding, and a wonderful way to start the program, setting the stage, so that everyone understand more about the side effects of immunotherapy. And our next speaker is Dr. Mario Lacatura. Uh, Dr. Lacatura is Director, Oncodermatology Program, Associate Attending Physician, Dermatology Service, Department of Medicine, Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center, Associate Professor of Dermatology, Wild Cornell Medical College. And Dr. Lacatour is going to be addressing understanding your skin's reaction to immunotherapy, managing skin changes, including rash and dry skin, care of your hair and nails, and sun safety tips. It's really my great pleasure to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Dr. Lacatour. Thank you, Carolyn. Uh, and I would also like to thank all of you for being with us today uh, during this presentation. 
Um, so I would uh, like to uh, present to you what are the most common reactions that can be experienced with these uh, immunotherapies that have uh, dramatically changed the treatment of many types of cancer. As Dr. Slovin mentioned before, uh, immunotherapies activate the immune system in many instances in a way that they will uh, attack both uh, those bad cells that uh, your oncologist wants to uh, attack, but they will also attack good cells. And one of the uh, good cells that is most frequently attacked are those that reside within the skin uh, or uh, other parts of the body, such as the intestines and uh, lungs, as well as some other uh, parts of your body, such as, as the glands responsible for making hormones, and in some cases, the nerves. It's important to remember, as Dr. Slobin mentioned, that these uh, side effects are different from those that occurred uh, traditionally with chemotherapy because they can appear after only one uh, dose. Uh, they can last for an extended period of time. And also, they uh, can appear months or even years after the treatment has been completed. So it's important to always keep in mind in people that have received immunotherapies that side effects can appear at any time in any part of the body and uh, even years after treatment has been completed. Uh, interestingly, the skin and the intestines are the uh, organs that are most frequently affected. Uh, in particular, the skin is the most commonly affected. Usually, side effects will present within the first three to four weeks after the first uh, administration or the first time that you receive these drugs. The most common side effects are a rash that appears throughout the body, especially the chest and back. It looks like these uh, little red raised uh, bumps that can frequently be very itchy. Some people can report extreme itching in certain parts of the body that are not associated with any visible rash, and it's important to report this to your doctor. Other people will also report the formation of these patches on the skin that look like uh, allergies to certain products that can also be very itchy and other people may develop conditions like psoriasis, which is a common condition in which the skin becomes very inflamed and dry and flaky. Importantly, most of these conditions can be treated if uh, they are intervened early on. When these conditions are mild to moderate in severity, uh, they are usually treated with topical medications, in other words, with creams or sprays that can be prescribed by your doctor. When there are associated symptoms of extreme itch, your doctor may also be able to prescribe certain medications such as antihistamines that are used for allergies or other medications that are traditionally known to be used for pain but may be very effective in itching. These are medications such as gabapentin or pregabalin. In addition, some patients may experience the formation of these raised uh, blisters in the skin. Those can also be treated with specific medications prescribed by your doctor. 
And when these rashes are severe, in other words, they cover more than a third of your body or the itch becomes intolerable to the point where it may affect your ability to sleep or do your daily activities or hobbies, then it's important to hold the medication, the immunotherapy, and if possible to uh, see a dermatologist and uh, your doctor will likely administer or treat this condition with uh, a medication that suppresses your immune system in order to stop that inflammation and to improve your symptoms. It's important to remember also that if you have suffered from a pre-existing inflammatory condition, some of which are very common, such as eczema, as I mentioned before, uh, uh, psoriasis, or any allergies, these may get worse during uh, or after the treatment with immunotherapies, so it's very important to inform your doctor about these conditions so that they can be treated early on. As Dr. Sloven mentioned, there are few people that are really familiar with how the immune system works in your bodies and what are the best ways to modify it so that the best outcome can be um, attained with the use of these immunotherapies. So if you are experiencing any side effects with these drugs, it's important to report these to your oncologist so the appropriate specialists can see you. For example, if you are having skin conditions as we have discussed, a dermatologist may be very important for you so you can have the optimal therapy with topical medications and the most accurate diagnosis can be made. On the other hand, if you are having diarrhea or uh, increased frequency in the bowel movements after you have received these therapies, it may be advisable to see a gastroenterologist that would have a more comprehensive knowledge of solutions to address these issues. And then for the uh, side effects that affect your glands that produce your hormones, endocrinologists are key in this aspect. Another frequently um, under-recognized series of events that frequently occur are the so-called rheumatic adverse events. Rheumatic adverse events are those in which the joints or the muscles in the body can be inflamed as a result of these immunotherapies. These are manifested by joint pains or weakness in the body that can affect after you have been treated. It turns out that rheumatologists are very skilled at treating these inflammatory conditions, and it may be of importance for you to receive an evaluation by a rheumatologist to manage these adverse events. The other uh, important aspect of this is to always uh, consider that uh, it's important to protect your skin when going outside uh, on sunny days as any sunburn may be worse when you have received immunotherapies. So using sunscreen with an SPF of at least 30 every two hours when outside or every hour if swimming or sweating are key. But more importantly, I think that using sun protective clothing uh, the, during the hours of 10 a.m. and 4 p.m. are probably something that most people would be open to doing. But the combination of both would be the ideal situation so that you don't develop sunburns that may prevent you from receiving uh, your immunotherapy. Moisturizing your skin is also very important since many people report that their skin becomes very dry, probably as a result of uh, inflammation. 
we recommend the use of fragrance-free detergents and soaps uh, for your clothes and for your body, respectively. And always, uh, after you take a shower or a bath, moisturizing your skin with a lotion that has minimal to no uh, fragrances or perfumes, as these can also irritate the skin. So when you notice that you have uh, any dermatologic or skin-related issue, it's important to remember that they will uh, be treated in the majority of cases with topical medications, but that they can persist or they can recur later on during therapy. In addition, up to 40% of people receiving immunotherapies may develop more than one type of side effect. So it's important to remember that uh, the presence of one side effect does not exclude the appearance of a side effect affecting another part of the body. So always keep in close contact with your doctor because these side effects can progress uh, quickly if they are left untreated. And with the knowledge that your oncologist has based on their experience and the guidelines as has been, as have been discussed before, the great majority of these side effects can be managed so that the best quality of life can be maintained and the treatment can continue in order to maximize uh, the efficacy and the benefit from all of these uh, remarkable advances in cancer care. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. Lockatour. That was really wonderful and so informative. And I think I know there'll be questions for you during the Q&A, and thank you so much. And our next speaker is uh, Ms. Alicia Gilmore, and she is a dietitian, um, and she is um, a clinical instructor, clinical nutrition, University of Texas, Southwestern Medical Center in Dallas. And Ms. Gilmore is going to address nutrition and hydration concerns and tips during immunotherapy. And it's my pleasure now to turn this program over to my esteemed colleague, Ms. Gilmore. Thank you, Carolyn. I'm so excited to be part of today's presentation to talk about uh, my favorite topic of nutrition and uh, what things that are important when you're receiving immunotherapy. Uh, nutrition and hydration are, are vital, of course, to in part of your treatment to provide the best tolerance um, so you have the energy and you have um, everything that you want to do uh, to be able to do what you do every day. It should be a priority as a patient to make sure that you're getting enough nutrition and that you're focusing on protein and fluids and making sure that you're getting enough calories. The better nourished you are, the better you're going to tolerate your treatment. Um, when we think about protein, your needs for protein may be higher during treatment. Um, as Dr. Slobin mentioned, bio, the immunotherapy is a little bit different than uh, traditional chemotherapy, but it's still important to make sure that you know when you are eating that you're incorporating these protein foods into your day. Things like fish, chicken, turkey, um, other animal proteins, eggs, cheese, dairy products, uh, soy, nut, nut butters, um, seeds, all of these are good sources of protein. Um, I would recommend making sure that they're a part of your, your breakfast and if you have any, you know, lunch and dinner and if you have any snacks um, during the day. And if you're, you know, if you're having a decrease in energy or you're having any difficulty making sure you're getting what you need, you might think about eating those foods first so that if you do um, tire out and unable to finish, at least you got that protein in. Um, thinking about fluid, of course, maintaining hydration is essential. Um, not enough fluids can contribute to fatigue, uh, may cause nausea, may cause dizziness. 
Uh, a good goal is to try and drink at least 8 to 10 cups of fluid every day. So think of this as, as equivalent to like a 2-liter um, bottle. Sometimes it's helpful to have a visual of how much you need to drink every day. So sometimes I do tell my patients, you know, fill up a two-liter bottle with what you need to drink. Look at that. See where you are. Um, you can also use four of those 16-ounce water bottles, um, and that's usually a good way to think about, you know, making sure you're getting those fluids during the day. Um, I recommend fluids that are non-caffeinated uh, because they do hydrate you better. So, of course, water is a great choice. Um, juice, sports drinks, um, flavored waters it also um, can help. Maybe, you know, a cup of coffee or a cup of tea is fine, but making sure that you're focusing on those other non-caffeinated fluids throughout the day. I would caution you about choosing um, fluids that have added sugar in them. Um, they're not as nutritious. Uh, you know, we are what we eat, so when we eat and drink good things, we're going to do better and feel better. Um, High-sugar beverages as well as caffeine can also exacerbate some side effects. So if you are experiencing diarrhea, for example, um, caffeine and high-sugar beverages can sometimes make it worse. It's important to make sure that you have enough calories uh, during your treatment to give you the get-up-and-go that you need to do what you want to do. If you're having difficulty meeting those needs, you may try adding snacks between your meals or choosing foods that are higher in calorie. For example, our, our favorite avocado toast or adding cheese to vegetables or pasta or salad. Um, if you're feeling tired, sometimes using smaller frequent meals throughout the day uh, may be less overwhelming in, in a way that you can get the energy that you need. Um, if you're experiencing nausea um, or a decrease in appetite, the smaller frequent meals may also be easier for you. Um, liquid nutrition like smoothies uh, with protein or other nutrition drinks can also be uh, an easy way that if you don't have the energy to, to prepare meals or to um, you know, go out, uh, you could use those as a way to meet your nutrition needs. Sometimes it is easier to drink your calories than to eat them. Um, if your nutrition needs are not met by diet, your diet, um, your body will look for a way to make that energy. And so one way it does is it looks to your muscles and it converts those muscles um, into energy, which can cause an, more increase in uh, fatigue and may decrease your endurance as well as decrease lean body mass, which we all know is important in making sure that we, uh, as far as overall health. So even if you are overweight, you can still be malnourished. So you want to make sure that you're you're getting the things that you need. If you're not, you know, meeting with the dietitian uh, can be helpful as they can help provide specific calorie, protein, and fluid needs, as well as any information that can help with diet modification if you need. Of course, there are medications that can assist with the side effects uh, from treatment, um, as we heard earlier in the talk. So you want to make sure that you're talking with your healthcare team and you're letting your, them know what kind of side effects you're experiencing so they can help. And, of course, the sooner the better. Um, if you're experiencing side effects when you're eating, of course, keep a record of what you're eating and what kind of symptoms you're experiencing so that your health care team can help uh, support you during that time. Um, in closing, there's lots of members of the healthcare team that are dedicated to helping you do the best that you can during treatment. So you want to make sure that you're uh, in good communication with them and letting them know what's going on so they can help you the best they can. Thank you so much for allowing me to be part of this workshop. So I'm going to pass the line back to Carolyn. Oh, thank you so much, uh, Ms. Gilmore. That was wonderful and a lot of excellent information for everybody. And um, I'm going to say a few words about cancer care, and then we're going to take questions from our participants. So um, Cancer Care is a national organization, and we're a nonprofit organization, and we provide 
uh, really psychosocial support, which means really it's delivered by uh, oncology social workers. Um, and we do a number of things. We provide practical and financial assistance. So we do have a copay foundation, and we help with financial assistance and with um, practical issues. We also provide counseling services. Um, and, and by that, I mean someone that you can talk with, um, usually on the telephone or online. And we have a number of different types of support groups as well, and support groups that are basically run on the telephone or online. So, and, we, and so for the telephone groups, those do happen in actual time. And for the online groups, those groups actually um, happen um, any time of the, people can post any time of the day or night. They're monitor, moderated by an oncology social worker. And indeed, you can um, post questions or comments to each other anytime you wish. Um, the groups, the online groups, actually um, have services for people who are all ages, um, so f and for caregivers, and for um, and for young adults, for middle-aged adults, for older adults, um, for people with specific types of cancer, um, and for um, for people who have different for partners and for spouses and for caregivers. So really, the whole spectrum of of um, ages and actually um, as well as um, types of cancer. And we also have a program called Cancer Care for Kids, which is a program that we offer um, for children who are impacted by cancer in their families. And so those are programs that are specifically designed to help children understand um, and cancer in their family. How, how, and, and it helps the family members to talk about um, the cancer, and it also helps um, the, um, the adults involved as well to, to, help, to talk to their children about cancer. So those are a number of the services that we do offer, and of course we offer these educational workshops, and we have lots of them coming up as well. And um, so do take advantage of our services. You can call us on the telephone, or you can um, email us at, uh, um, at our website. And we'll, after the program today, you'll be getting an evaluation form with all the different resources of how to contact cancer care and any, all the other resources that are out there to assist you as well. So now we do have time for questions. I'm going to ask Norma to explain to all of you how to queue up and ask questions. And we're going to try to take as many of your questions as possible. Uh, Norma. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, at this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press star 1 on your touchtone telephone. If your question has been answered or you wish to remove yourself from the queue, you may press the pound key. Those of you on the web may submit questions by clicking Ask a Question. Our first question comes from Stephanie Kay. Your line is open. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Again, this is an excellent seminar. I did listen to the first one on immune therapy. I'm on a 12-year breast cancer survivor, HER2 positive, double negative, and I like to know as an RN, I also have a family member that has prostate cancer. I have a question for Dr. Sloven. I would really much like to know about what clinical trials have been done for immune therapy as compared to radiation for prostate cancer. If a person doesn't need surgery, only needs radiation, can they do one? the other or both together, which would work better um, to prevent reoccurrence. Thank you. Well, thanks, Stephanie. Thanks, Stephanie, for your question. And Dr. Slovin, do you want to address the... Uh that is a, uh, a triple. A, well, thank you for the question, Stephanie. It's a sort of a, a triple-loaded question because it does involve standards of care. To date, we do not have any standard of care using the checkpoint inhibitors. <clears throat> excuse me, in prostate cancer or breast cancer. 
for the clinical trials that have been done to date, uh, a drug called ipilimumab or anti-CTLA-4, the other name for it is Yervoy, has been tested in prostate cancer. It looked very appealing in the early phase trials but two very large phase three trials, one post-chemotherapy, the other pre-chemotherapy for patients who had metastatic uh, castration-resistant disease, did not show any uh, advantage to using this this, uh, medication. More recently, another very large phase three trial looked at the combination of ipilimumab or anti-CTLA-4 along with another checkpoint inhibitor called nivolumab or anti-PD-1, another checkpoint molecule, in uh, patients with metastatic prostate cancer and did not find uh, a significant advantage to the combination. For patients who have localized prostate cancer, as I'm sure you already know in your capacity as a nurse, that standard of care is either to remove the prostate or to do radiation. And for the most part these days, radiation is done either uh, by itself or in combination with hormones, but short of a clinical trial, we are not doing any combinatorial studies with checkpoint inhibitors uh, to date. There are some proposals that are out there. The thought is that there may be an enhanced toxicity or perhaps uh, radiation itself. As you know, it can be very toxic to some people, but the concern is would you be making more side effects such as diarrhea in patients who are getting radiation. So every trial that's designed, number one, has to be designed with a particular endpoint to tell us if it's advantageous to even put the two combinations together versus standard of care. So there are plans. There have been very preliminary evaluations, but nothing that is standard of care at the present time. I hope this helps. Thank you so much. Thanks. Um, uh, And um, we have another question um, from one of our telephone participants. Um, Our next question comes from Regina W. Your line is open. Regina, your line is open. Regina, can you check your mute button? I'm sorry. I am wondering, I was wondering about, um, I'm currently doing immunotherapy for ovarian cancer, and I was wondering about the bone pain that I'm experiencing, like my joints are achy and sore. Um, So I was wondering, you know, is there anything I can do to, other than taking Tylenol, to ease the pain. Thank you. The, uh, I guess I'll, I'll take that, Carolyn. Uh, uh, I will tell you that you should bring this to your the attention of your physicians. Depending on your blood counts, you could use a non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drug such as Aleve or uh, Advil, or such as, or I should say, ibuprofen, or you might uh, benefit from a very low dose narcotic such as oxycodone if the pain is that bad. The question is whether this is a migratory pain or this is a persistent pain. Uh, you did not indicate whether or not you have any disease in your bone that could be contributing to this. So you could have flares in pre-existing pain or pre-existing arthritis, as Dr. Lacouture says, for which medications could be given to you very safely, but please 
do do bring this sooner rather than later to your your healthcare team. Excellent, thank you. And our next question, um, I hope that's helpful. And please do bring this, to, you know, to your to your doctors for assistance. And our next question. I have no questions on the line. Oh, okay. So there's a question in front of our online participants here. Um, so it's so a question on um, nutrition. For patients receiving immunotherapy that have addiction issues such as alcohol drinking, what is considered a safe amount? That's for all the presenters. Um, so I'll say, uh, of course, that's something you always want to talk with your physician about, um, just depending on the kind of uh, immunotherapy that you're on. There's certain restrictions, of course, other supportive medications. Um, the general guidelines from the American Institute of Cancer Research uh, say if you don't drink, don't start. Um, and then the guidelines for cancer survivorship for women are no more than one drink a day. Uh, which is one 12-ounce beer, one 5-ounce glass of wine, or one and a half ounces of hard spirits. For men, it's twice the amount, two 12-ounce beers, two 5-ounce glasses of wine, or two one and a half ounces. Um, that being said, um, drinking alcohol during treatment is definitely a discussion that you want to have with your, your physician. So um, I can tell you the general guidelines, but I encourage you to bring this back to your physician and see what's the best, uh, see what your physician recommends. If I could weigh in, Carolyn, I'm I'm a I'm a bit of a stickler when it comes to alcohol and somebody's either on chemotherapy or even a checkpoint inhibitor. Please remember that many chemotherapies, number one, are metabolized or broken down in the liver. That's number one. And checkpoint inhibitors also can have on unto themselves side effects as Dr. Lacouture mentioned, where you can get elevated liver tests and sometimes you can have damage. Anything that you can do to keep your liver healthy, meaning not drinking or at least adhering to a very modest amount of drinking. I personally tell people don't drink, but I say if once a week you need a, a couple of sips, by all means. But I always like to keep the liver as clean as possible because you just don't know. Okay. Um and we have um, um, another question from one of our online participants. So this one is of Dr. Um, I think Dr. Slogan as well. Um, my bite and jaw have been affected after my immunotherapy. They don't line up anymore. Is this common or possibly a type of arthritis from the treatment? Well, <laughs> I'm many things lately, but I'm I'm not a, a dentist, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it. I've not heard of any, uh, Dr. Lacouture, I'm going to ask him to weigh in on this, I've not heard of any structural defects as a result of immunotherapy. Uh, bite changes can occur for, for a number of reasons, people clenching at night, uh, even if people have had bite plates or night guards, if you're not using it consistently, the teeth can, on their own, come out of alignment. Temporomandibular joint disease is another reason where people are clenching so hard that uh, the jaw can be out of alignment and causing pain. Short of 
any disease that's in your bone or in the jawbone itself, usually you would be best served by seeing an orthodontist who can take a specific Panorex films and take a look at your bite and see where this is coming from. It could be not necessarily due to bone misalignment, but could be due to uh, the muscles that you're using, the masseter muscles that you're using to chew or to clench. Dr. Lacouture, any any thoughts on this? I've not personally seen anything like this. No, I agree, Dr. Sloven. Uh, the uh, it, it's unlikely related. Uh, the only mouth issues we have seen is severely dry mouth, uh, and we have also seen uh, sometimes sores can occur inside the mouth, but not this type of uh, change. Okay, excellent. So definitely see your um, healthcare provider about this, and your Dentist or, or and, and actually a um, you know a, a dentist might be very good to see as well as Dr. Slovin recommended. Um, so we have a question from another participant, Dr. Slovin and Dr. Lacatour, if you want to weigh on this. How can I find a doctor that specializes in immunotherapy near me? People do live in all different parts of the country, of course. So. To be very honest with you, uh, there is. Well, there's, there are new fellowships that are coming out in immunotherapy, but it's not a matter of any doctor being an immunotherapist. It, it's usually an oncologist who is able to administer the drug, just as if they would be administering chemotherapy. So there's no immunotherapist. What one needs to find out is whether or not your, your uh, local oncologist, uh, number one, recommends immunotherapy, because most medical oncologists use immunotherapy the same way they would be using chemotherapy. You just have to be the right person and have the right disease for which it uh, may or may not be indicated. And uh, Dr. Lockett, did you want to add anything? Or? Yes, uh, I would like to uh, uh, say that regarding the side effects, uh, it's important to also um, be aware that there are varying degrees of expertise uh, most of the time, your oncologist will be the person that knows the most about all of these side effects. And uh, if there is something that is either not improving with the current therapy or becomes uh, severe, a uh, discussion should be had so that a specialist, uh, as we discussed before, a rheumatologist, for example, for the joint pains, could weigh in and see if there are additional therapies that could be used for the particular side effects. I would certainly always encourage uh, people whenever they are seeing a specialist that whatever therapy is being administered to treat that side effect, to run it by the oncologist first, as uh, many people outside of oncology are not aware of immunotherapies or how they work. And we certainly don't want to be uh, giving drugs that may uh, affect the efficacy of these drugs or can make some of the side effects or other organs be more affected. Excellent. Um, and then um, this will be our last question. But so, um, and this will be for um, both uh, Dr. Lakatura and for Dr. Slovin. How soon after immunotherapy treatment will I begin to experience side effects? What are the long-term side effects of immunotherapy? So. I think Dr. LaCouture indicated earlier uh, in, in the call that uh, they can occur usually within several days to weeks. 
There are immediate side effects that uh, Dr. Lacoutura had mentioned, and uh, such as diarrhea or extreme fatigue. And then there are very often late side effects that can occur, such as problems with your sugar, maybe problems with uh, your thyroid or uh, a rash. So Dr. Lacoutura can certainly weigh in on some of the manifestations with the skin changes that very often take a little bit longer to come out. Dr. Lacouture. Yes, uh, yes, uh, that that is absolutely correct. Uh, we certainly uh, want to uh, follow people as early as possible, but I've I've heard people within days of starting the uh, the first administration, they can develop some of these side effects. Uh, the usual time uh, for skin side effects is, is three weeks. The gastrointestinal side effects appear up after about uh, six weeks. Um, then. Uh, we go into the um, other side effects, such as the ones that affect the, the liver, and that occurs after about eight weeks. Then, then the ones that affect the glands or the lungs or the kidneys occur four months or uh, longer after therapy has been initiated. So, uh, so yeah, so, so it, they can start at any time, uh, but usually the skin is the first to be affected, and the other ones can, be, uh, can appear within the next few uh, months. Uh, but can occur even years after therapy has been completed. So as a takeaway for everybody on this call, the issue is to be really to bring anything up to their physician that they notice or their dietitian. If they notice anything that's changed, they should put you each weigh in on that. I'll just add that extra question there. So the, the basically the side effects are that anything they notice is different, they should probably call the office and find out what's going on. They shouldn't wait a month for the next appointment or two months. Is that correct? Absolutely correct. Because I know many people live in very in all different areas of the country, but some people live far away from the treating health care team, but you do have the telephone and indeed you, sh you want to be sure to call them. And also, what about finding out the hours of operation of the office? Because that if they're going to be undergoing this treatment, um, they need to know who's available in the evenings or weekends. Could we comment on that a bit? Because that is an issue. Things, things always seem to happen, um, not necessarily during business hours. Or I don't know if that's everyone's experience, but it often seems to be that people seem to run into difficulty on the evenings, weekends, holidays. Do you want to comment on that? Well, Carolyn, first of all, they should be talking to their doctor about what to do in the case of an emergency. I mean, there's usually a fact card that is provided to the patient regarding side effects. So, first of all, if anything is unusual, patients should just, if they can get into a car, please go to an emergency room, a local emergency room, because emergency rooms are prepared for this type of uh, side effect issue. If you are unable to do so or feel that you are so ill that you need immediate attention, by all means, uh, an ambulance. Hopefully, it will never get to that, but of course, always be prepared for the what ifs. And Dr. Walker, do you want to add anything? I agree. Uh, patients should always uh, have the information of the drugs that they are receiving, and uh, whenever uh, any side effect occurs, they should inform their oncologist and uh, avoid, please, any delays. It's important to report any symptom that you are experiencing and uh, the best uh, outcomes can be achieved this way. Uh, another important aspect that we hadn't uh, touched upon too much is that 
with these immunotherapies, uh, it may not be necessary to continue treatment indefinitely. It turns out that some people that benefit from these drugs uh, may not need to continue on it, especially if they are having side effects. So there's a lot we do not know about these medicines. Uh, we know that they can be effective for uh, many types of tumors, as Dr. Slovin mentioned, but always inform your oncologist because safety is also very important. Uh, and uh, certainly uh, a greater knowledge of all of these issues by your oncologist will ensure that the best outcome is achieved. And Ms. Gilmore, do you want to comment just on the hydration, nutrition issues that people may be dealing with? Um, I would say it's probably uh, very general as far as making sure you're getting enough nutrition. You know, if you're having any difficulties um, due to the side effects uh, from your immunotherapy, whether you're experiencing diarrhea or you're having nausea or you're having fatigue, of course you want to get in touch with your healthcare team um, and let them know what kind of symptoms they're experiencing so they can troubleshoot with you and make sure that you uh, get any kind of support that you need. As far as hydration, um, you know, set a goal. Try and get at least, you know, six to eight eight to ten cups of fluids um, every day. And, again, if you're having difficulty meeting these fluid needs, um, again, talk with your healthcare team and let them know. Carolyn, I would just like to bring up something that often happens, and maybe our nutritionists can weigh in on this, and it has to do with the fact that very often when people have diarrhea, they all want to take Gatorade, which is all very well and good. It's been my experience and uh, maybe others who have found that you're getting such a concentrated amount of solute, in other words, minerals and, and whatever else, that sometimes it could actually worsen the diarrhea and people are completely unaware that that happens. I actually tell people to have you know, diluted one part water and one part the uh, the Gatorade, but I, I just wanted our nutritionist's input on that and how we can deal with that, if anything. Sure. Yeah, sure. Like I talked about earlier, uh, sometimes uh, liquids that do have added sugar, um, juice, for example, apple juice, even the Gatorade uh, can sometimes exacerbate diarrhea and make it worse. And what Dr. Sliven was talking about was the um, the osmolarity or just the amount of stuff that's actually in the solution. And sometimes when there's too much stuff or too much concentration, um, it causes our body to have diarrhea. So if you're already having diarrhea, then you're adding that on top of it and it can make it worse. So while we do know that you know um, Gatorade or other sports drinks are marketed towards hydration, in this case, um, it may not be the best choice. And so you could do um, you know half Gatorade, half water to dilute the the solution in the fluid. Um, there's also some oral rehydration solutions that are available um, in certain drugstores. And so you may uh, ask your physician if that's something um, that would be recommended. Um, and there's also uh, some oral rehydration solution uh, recipes out on the World Health Organization that you can access, um, and a lot of them are, are using water and some salt um, and a little bit of uh, carbohydrate to make that solution. Um, nibbling on really dry foods, low-fiber foods, um, salt, uh, things like pretzels, saltines, things like that can also help get some of the salt um, back in your body. Excellent. Wow, this has been an amazing call, and I, I really want to thank our speakers. You've been phenomenal. And I also want to thank all of you who've been listening, who asked questions. And um, I know you still have questions, so I think we could go on a bit longer. But, of course, um, we 
time does not permit. So I actually want to thank everyone. I want to, for all of you who still have questions, I'd like to just remind you that the best place to get your questions answered, of course, is to start with your healthcare team, ask them. But I know many of you like to look for other places to get your questions answered, and um, so that I, I suggest that you also um, can contact your um, uh, the, the, you can go to the National Cancer Institute. It's a wonderful resource. And we'll be sending you at the end of the program an evaluation, and the evaluation will allow you all to kind of, um, it will give you all additional resources that you can contact. Most importantly, as we conclude the call today, I would not want any one of you to feel alone in coping with, with, um, with your cancer and in dealing with immunotherapy treatment. Um, you're now part of the community of support. You can contact our staff at Cancer Care, and you also, of course, can speak to your healthcare team. Again, I want to thank you all for your participation today and wish you all a very fine day. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for your participation. This concludes the workshop, and you may now disconnect. Everyone have a great day. <laughs>